Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 17, and we have come to verse 6, John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Christ is divided into three parts. First, he prays for himself and his glory, and that he would glorify others. And then he prays for his disciples, and then finally, he prays for all of those who will ever believe. In that last section, Christ applies all that he has prayed, especially and namely what he prays for his disciples, applies that to us as well. So now when when we see what Christ specifically prays regarding his disciples, he is praying for you and me in that same sense. We are... As I've said earlier, on holy ground, we are in the best way that we can be in the holy of holies here, communion between the Son and the Father. The Bible doesn't give us in the gospel accounts verbatim or even much of a dialogue of what Christ said whenever he withdrew himself to pray to the Father. Here, however, we have a sample of how Christ is praying even today for his own as our high priest. What we learn about Christ our Savior is that when he offers himself as the Lamb of God on the cross, providing atonement, he is like Aaron, the high priest, offering the sacrifice. But after his resurrection and then ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, His high priestly ministry continues, but now as Melchizedek. In other words, the unending intercessory, mediatorial, high priestly ministry. Of course, the difference, as it's pointed out in Hebrews, between Jesus... And all the other priests, high priests who have ever lived, is that he is like unto Melchizedek in the sense that he is presented without lineage, without father, without mother, an eternal priesthood, and he never dies. So he continues as the high priest in behalf of his people now interceding for us in heaven He died on the cross to save us. He redeems us on the cross, those who are his own. He ascends and now lives forevermore. Hebrews chapter 7. He ever lives to make intercession for us, those who are his own. He completed the redemption, the redemptive work. 
He completed that on the cross. But in a sense, the saving work continues for those who are his own, even now. That's what he's doing right now. He's keeping me saved. He died to save me on the cross, made the atonement, the only atonement that could be made for me. No other animal, no other, nothing could die in my behalf, only Christ. But I'm not glorified yet. Christ in this greater context talks about his glory and glorifying those who are his. The day is coming, but has not arrived for me that I will be glorified and that Christ will bring me to glory. His work for me continues even now. So we have this glimpse of his, his ministry of intercession here because this is, this is a, a high priestly prayer from six, verse six to the, to the end of the chapter. He is praying for his own. This is, we're in, we're deep in the woods here. This is so wonderful and stunning at the same time. How does Christ view his work? What is his work? And how does it continue? And how will it be manifest even into the ages of the ages? We get a glimpse of it here. So let's look at it beginning in verse 6, John 17. I revealed your name, Ephenerosa. I have put your name on display, all who you are. I, there was no other way to reveal it. Go back with me in your mind to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things through him came into existence and apart from him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14 in John 1. And the word became flesh. In other words, God became flesh. And tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Even the glory as of an only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has seen God but the Son has exegeted, has explained him, has unfolded the reality in the deepest sense of who he is, as far as we can receive it. We cannot in this present state receive all that there is to, we'll never receive everything that there is to know about God because we're not God. But in glory, we can, in our glorification, we can continue to grow in a knowledge of God. But the more we learn, the more I think we will realize 
how we will never exhaust the unsearchable riches of the grace of God, the reality of God, the person of God, the work of God. But we will rejoice into the ages because the plural is used, because the plural is used in the Greek text, my understanding of that is that one age will unfold into another. Endlessly. In, in a human sense, we live in the age of the church. It comes to an end. It started on Pentecost. It comes to an end with the rapture and the resurrection, the time of the tribulation. That's not the time of the church. That's something different. It's the 70th, it's the 70th seven-year period designed and appointed for Israel. Now, there are Gentiles who are saved, but they're tribulation saints. The church is gone. And there's another age after that, the, the age of the kingdom. And then, and then there, is, there is a state after that, but because of the plural into the ages of the ages, which in most Bibles is just translated forever. One age will collapse into the next. And we will have grown in our knowledge and in our love, and it's an unceasing thing, it's a wonderful thought to me that this never ends. This continual unveiling of God. Now how far can we know God as, as, as humans, as men and women? Only as far as God chooses to reveal himself. Paul writes and he calls, he calls Jesus the fullness of the Godhead. Christ speaks absolutely and in the tense that is used... He completely revealed as far as we can receive it. You want to know God? Study Christ. And in studying Christ, you have to study the Holy Spirit. And all that the Holy Spirit teaches us in the rest of the New Testament. And study the Word of God to its completion. God has revealed Himself in the written Word and the incarnate Word who is Christ Jesus. Christ has taught us in John uh, 16 and continues to teach us in John 17 that he sends the comforter, the spirit, and the spirit will complete the process of giving us the Bible, the New Testament. So Christ says here in this prayer, I revealed your name. I have explained and exposed who you are. Now you go back a couple of chapters, go into the few verses into the previous chapter, you find Christ, you remember Christ said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, he said this, Christ said this earlier, we studied it not long ago, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wow. He has revealed God. There is no other manifestation 
of God that we can receive or understand presently. Only through Christ Jesus. So I revealed your name. That means, you remember how special it was in the Old Testament for God to, to reveal his name to Moses. Yahweh. Jews, since before the era of the New Testament, Jews refuse to pronounce the name. They just call it Adonai. Afraid that they will take his name in vain. It's, it's hard for me to understand how you can read the word of God and personally substitute a word for another word. I, that's just me. That said, his name in the Old Testament in many ways revealed his attributes, his works, his love, his protection. He was, uh, he was Yahweh shepherd. He was Yahweh of banners. He was Yahweh of armies. He was Yahweh healer, Yahweh wisdom. And you go all the way through all the names of Yahweh. This, this sub part of the name added to Yahweh in the Hebrew. And so whatever the, his people needed in the Old Testament, he would say, I am Yahweh whatever. Because that's what they needed right then. And all of that comes to an end. And the last name of Yahweh is the name Yahshua, which is Jesus in the Greek, it's, it's Yahweh saves, Yahweh salvation, Yahweh is salvation. That's the name of Jesus, that's Jesus. You can take all of those other things that are added to the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, roll them all up and put them together and you will never ever approach all that Jesus has revealed because all of that other is included in the name of Ahshua, of the name of God, my salvation, my Savior, God saves, Yahweh saves. This is what we need. Listen, before I need wisdom, I need salvation. Before I need the God of armies, I need salvation. Before I need the God of healing, I need salvation. So it all comes to rest on the final name of Yahweh that is given in the Bible. The last genealogy of men that leads us from Adam all the way to the sublime figure of the cross who's, who dies and is buried and resurrected, has ascended and is coming again. The last name, Yahshua, Jesus. I revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Now there it is again. A stunning reality. You gave me these 11 out of the world. I have revealed your name to them. They watched me daily in my earthly ministry. They assisted me and they listened to my teaching. Christ himself would unfold the truth from the Old Testament that the Messiah 
comes first to suffer, suffer as a suffering servant. And then comes again as king of kings. Even at this point, they still don't completely understand. But after the resurrection, they will begin to get a grip on it. And especially after the Holy Spirit comes. So then, number one, I want to say eight things in this passage. Number one, my work was to reveal your word, your works, your attributes, your nature, your identity, your love, your power, your salvation, I did it. All the way through the gospel accounts, but especially in John, we've seen it. Salvation came by the Father, and the Son would nail it down. Given by the Father, Our salvation received by us through the power of Christ and what he's done for us. So I revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. There's a, there's a big world out there with all these other people. Those are not the ones to whom he revealed the identity of God. It was these 11 to begin with. Of course, that continues as we get down to the end, the rest of the chapter here. Number two, they were yours, and you gave them to me, the eternal covenant. We talked about that last week. Before time ever was, the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. Let me tell you, I'll put it on a personal basis. Before I ever was, before I'm, I'm talking, this is a personal testimony. Before I ever was, I, mean, I wasn't even a gleam in my father's eye because my father didn't exist. There was no dirt from which to make me. God the Father loved me. John will later write in John 1, we love him because he first loved us. Existence as I understand it, didn't, it wasn't around then. but I belong to the Father. And the Father gave me to the Son. They were yours. And you gave them to me. Number three, they have kept your word. Now there's that military word again in the Greek text. Tetarikin. They have guarded your word. We try to be as obedient as we can if we are who we are supposed to be. If we are born again and the spirit fills our heart and lives and lives within us, we are unctioned to be obedient. Sometimes we come across things we don't understand. 
Well, how can I obey a, obey a command I don't understand? It's all right. It's being worked out. Even if I don't understand it at the moment, I trust it, I believe it, and I know that somehow it's going to work out in my heart and life and I'll be made to believe it sooner or later when the Spirit receives the will from the Father to reveal it to me. But even those parts of the Word, I guard it and I keep it. Just because you don't understand it, you can't tear it out and burn it up. This is the life. These are the lives of these 11 Christ knows. He knew the hearts of men. They didn't understand. Listen, they're going to be scattered. They're going to be so confused when Jesus is suffering on the cross. When he cries out in agony from the 22nd Psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's going to be confusing and they won't understand it. But at the end of it all, they will believe it and they'll guard it and they won't cast it away. They have kept your word. And this, of course, is enlarged into the truth that the apostles will give to us divinely the God breathed completion of his word, the New Testament. They have kept your word, number three. I revealed it. Where did it start? It started with the Lord. Who acknowledged that they belonged to the Father who gave them to him, the Son. He gave them his word and because they were from before the foundation of the world, it amalgamated itself into their lives. Part of who we are is the blessed truth of the Word of God. We cannot deny it. I'd rather jump off a cliff than deny the Word of God. This is my high priest. He's praying for his own. Can you hear it? There's old Charles down there. I remember when you gave him to me. You loved him. And this is just the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. And he was ugly, but he was a gift. So I figured he was worth something. And I accepted him. I died for him. Now somehow, he keeps the word. This is what he does for all of those who are his own. This is what he's doing right now. He is my high priest. He could say to the Father, Oh, Charles, he doesn't understand all of it. He's doing his best. But I know that even though he may not understand it, he guards it, he keeps it, he loves it. Number four. Now they have known that all things, whatever you have given me, are of you. Being born into the Old Testament Judaism, they understood monotheism. They understood the one true and living God. They came to understand that God would reveal himself and manifest himself in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. 
They have known that all things whatever you've given me are of you. All along the way they knew more and more and more that this was God in the flesh. Only God could do the things that he did. Only God could understand the things that he understood, could provide the word the way that he provided it. Number five, for the words you have given me, I have given them. Now look at these three verbs. What separates a real believer from the rest of the world? Word of God received, known, and believed. There it is. Number six. And they received those words. And they knew that truly I came forth from you. I am divine presence. I am God in the flesh. And they believed that you sent me. What separates us from the world? For whom does he pray? Those who are his. And because we are his, we received the word. We knew that it was the word of God and that it came forth from heaven. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. And whatever he says is true. Whatever he does is right and good. And for me, because I am his own. Finally. Number seven. I am praying concerning them. If you will just be still and let God be God. If you will wash clean from your mind the traditions of men and everything that you've ever thought about yourself and just listen to what Jesus says. I do not pray concerning the world. Whew, man, what? Who is he praying for in heaven? Me. And you, if you are his. For all of those whom the Father has given to him from the, before the foundation of the world, listen to me. He died on the cross to save me. He lives in heaven to intercede for me. His eye is on me. And he knows who his own are. John 6, remember all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all that the Father gives to me, I will in no wise cast out. But this is the will of the Father. That of all he has given to me, I will lose not one. But raise him up at the last day. I don't know who all they are. I'm preaching to everybody. Because I marvel in the presence of God. When one of his own is brought from death to life.
the miracle of God that God declared would happen from before the foundation of the world. I do not pray concerning the world. Well, who does he pray for? But concerning those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Yours. Number eight. And all things of mine are yours. And yours, mine. In other words, Jesus says what John 1 said. The word was with God. The word was God. I can say and will say that all that is mine is his. But I cannot say all that is his is mine. Because I am not equal with God. And all things of mine are yours. And yours, mine. And I have been glorified in them. Let me tell you what. Here we are as Christians moving along this way. We get sick and die. We get old and die. It's appointed unto man once to die. Hebrews chapter 9. We have an appointment. We can't escape it. And the thing to say, you always say, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, that's kind of the human perspective of it. And that's okay. If you're in Christ, you are going to heaven when you die. I'm not going to refute that, of course. Let me tell you what the Father says. Here's what the Father says. I am bringing you to glory. I am bringing you to glorification. Now heaven's part of it, but there's something wonderful. There's something inexplicable. There's something that I won't be able to touch on until that day comes. Here's what Christ says. You remember, he prays, give me the glory that I had with you from before the world ever was. This is in part of this prayer. It's not in this part today that we're looking at. So there is a peculiar glory that belongs to God the Son. And I told you last time how in Acts, when he ascends... The language teaches us that this glory is coming upon him because of what the two witnesses there say about the same Jesus will come again and how he's described in the revelation. So they're watching and they're looking at Jesus unlike they have ever known him. We're told That after all is said in all of God's creation, his is the power and the honor and the glory. Unto the ages of the ages, amen. This is why God is in absolute control. He's not going to take a chance on this. 
This is God, and it's the glory of God. So out from His glory, to display His power, He just creates the universe. And within that universe, He creates angels, and a little lower than angels, He creates men and women, mankind. And from that, before he ever planned it out and laid the blueprints, he gave the certain ones to his son. His son will protect us. A father that, a father that gives the gift to the son and the son receives it and protects it because his father loves that gift. And now he loves that gift. So... God Almighty has glorified that forever and ever He will be glory. He will be glorified. He will be honored. He will be empowered in that all power is His. All honor is His and all glory is His. And as part of it, this little group of people Out from the world, he gives to his son. Now, upon whom is the son's attention directed? He just said it a while ago. I don't pray for the world. I pray for those that you've given to me out of the world. That's his intercessory prayer. That's part of what he's praying right now. He's praying to lead us to glory. He's keeping me saved. There is a glory into which I will enter that is guaranteed to me because it will glorify the Son and in glorifying the Son, it will glorify the Father. I have been glorified in them. Christ will die. Listen, this is now... In this, he's early Friday morning. And the cross is just ahead, what? Just a few hours. Here's what's going to happen to those for whom he prays. They're going to scatter. They're going to deny him. Peter denies Christ. With cursing and swearing. I don't know what's going to happen to me in the days that are left of my life. <laughs> and I'm not filled with pride. I'm just making a point. And I've been, I'm bad. You're bad. I don't care who you are. We're bad. Only the righteousness of Christ with which I'm covered through by his atonement then justification, only that does, does God see the Father see in me. But for all the stinking stuff I've done, I have never cursed and sworn and denied the knowledge of God, my Savior. My point is this, that was pretty bad what Peter did. I thought that was pretty bad. It ranks up there. With, with sins that have been committed, committed by saints. That's, man, he edges me out on some things. 
But you know what? He belonged. He was the father's and the father gave him to the son and the son is upholding him. He's praying for him. He's mine. Peter later on, and Paul scolds him for it. He, he, he does all these things trying to show the Jews that he's still a Jew. says something like this, this is the gospel according to Charles you can take it or leave it this is a paraphrase have you lost your mind have a ham sandwich and shut up don't worry we're redeemed I'm broken to think now, you remember, here I am, shoot, I'm probably, there may be one or two of you older than me, I don't know. But I've been around the block a lot and way down the road and all that kind of stuff. The longer I live, the more I realize what a horrible sinner I am and have been. But my Savior is praying for me and holding me up because I can't hold myself up. He's keeping me saved. Now the Holy Spirit in me unctions me and I am chastised. I have been disciplined. I'm probably being disciplined now. For disobedience in my life. And you probably are too. That means he loves me. If every child in Walmart is going crazy, the only ones who are going to get a spanking are mine. I'm not going to whip everybody else's kid. I may feel like it. <laughs> to think that I have the power of God and just send the rest of them to hell, right? Well, I wouldn't do that either. That ain't my power. <laughs> See, there was another sin. He's praying for me because he loves me. And I love him. And the Father, I'm saying I'm going to heaven. Oh, so many people. But the father says, I'm bringing him to glory. I'm bringing him to glory. So at last, in the presence of Almighty God, he will, as he said, receive all of the power, the honor, and the glory. I can't bring myself to this glory. But Christ has glorified me, and he's glorified in me. And he will be, especially at the last day, glorified in all those who are his. What started in eternity past ends in eternity future to the glory of God 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. As you exit this room, if God called you to his salvation, we have deacons and their wives ready just across the hall as you exit. You'll see them standing at the door. They're ready to pray with you regarding salvation. Maybe you're already a Christian, already saved, and God leads you to come and be a part of this church. Church membership is so important. And you share that with the deacons. They'll take care of all the details. They'll pray with you. However, God may speak to your heart this morning. As you exit, those deacons are there to help conclude this invitation in your life. But for now, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer.